Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss Bloom Oyster Cult. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. You are boned like a saint with the consciousness of a snake. Long Island, New York, they came. Dark, mysterious, creepy, metal, sci-fi and horror, not much on stage presence, but Blue Oyster Cult's longest lasting and most commercially successful lineup included the masterful guitar playing of Donald Rozier, who was also known as Buck Dharma, occasionally sang lead vocals, more of the smooth vocalist. Then there's Eric Bloom, who sings lead on most of the songs you know and love and plays guitar. Eric Lanier, who was the keyboard player, occasional rhythm guitar player. Joe Bouchard on bass, and Alan Bouchard on drums and percussion.
from such groups as Soft White Underbelly, which was an old band name and was also used as a pseudonym for the group when they would play quiet club gigs. They were also known as the Stalk Forest Group at one point, were supposed to have an album released on Elektra. That album never came to be until several years later and is of a little interest. sound Grateful Deadish on this. Not very dark, for sure. They were managed by Sandy Perlman, who is a critic and a writer, and he introduced them to poetry and lyrical ideas that would shape some of the things to come, and kind of give them their signature sci-fi motifs that, that, that would run the course of the history of the group. Even the name Blue Oyster Cult came from Sandy Perlman's 1960 poem that was called Imaginos, which plays into the story later. The clock strikes twelve and moon drops burst out at you from the
often had other songwriters, specifically lyrics. Richard Meltzer, he wrote the lyrics for many of the band's songs, including Burning For You. There was Patti Smith, yes, that Patti Smith. At the time, she was a keyboard player's girlfriend. She participated in a number of songs, as you'll hear. Jim Carroll, the writer of Basketball Diaries. Also John Shirley and Eric Von Lustbader, who were sci-fi writers. And as we all know, music critics are usually angry, failed musicians who are elitists, and Blue Oyster Cult were able to avoid the critical beatings that most heavy metal acts had because they did have the favor of the critics. I remember reading about how smart the band was. One critic even said that the muddy sound of the Sandy Perlman-produced albums was intentional. I call bullshit. group has sold 24 million records worldwide, had a number of hits, but aren't known as the most terribly nice guys. Most of the bands on either side of the bills with them would complain later about the group's competitiveness and sometimes a little bit of sabotage if you were to believe what you hear from bands like Kiss and Black Sabbath. Dharma got his name because Sandy Perlman wanted to have stage names for each of the band members, but the only one who went with it was Buck. debut album, the eponymous album, came out in 1972. A black and white album cover designed by Bill Gallick. He introduced us to the famous logo that the band would keep through their careers. And this was the first of three albums often referred to as the black and white period of the group, as the album covers were all fairly simple black and white affairs. With each successive album, the group got heavier and a little more complex. (laughs) 
Something to note during this time period, all the band members sang except for Alan Lanier, and they toured constantly. They toured with The Birds, Alice Cooper, Kiss. The second album's called Tyranny and Mutation, which was released in 1973. It was written while the band was on the road, and one of the songs, The Red and the Black, is a huge favorite of Mike Watt from Firehose and the Minutemen for some reason. They always do covers of that song in every group he's ever in. Supposedly an ode to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. was also the first to have a collaboration with Patti Smith. That trend continued on the next couple albums in Secret Treaties. They were getting positive reviews, and the record went gold for the first time in their career. Probably the beginning of their commercial success was the live double album called On Your Feet or On Your Knees. It came out in 1975, and I recall that being a pretty dense record. It's considered a classic as far as a heavy metal live album goes, but it's full of all the best and the worst tendencies of groups back then.
1976, the breakout album, Agents of Fortune. That was the first to go platinum, produced by David Lucas, and it contained the monster hit, Don't Fear the Reaper. Some of the other major songs on the record were This Ain't the Summer of Love, which is a favorite of Dennis, and ETI, Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which is a favorite of mine.
song I do like the most on this record, though, is the kind of silky smooth, snaky, sinewy Revenge of Vera Gemini, which features Patti Smith vocal at the very beginning. album, all five members had a turn at the microphone. So they were kind of on a roll now. When Spectres came out in 1977, they had a monster hit, Godzilla. started using laser light shows in their live performances. It was fairly groundbreaking at the time and incredibly expensive. I think I read somewhere that the album Spectres, the title of it, had something to do with a little tip of the hat to Phil Spector. Not sure if that's true. They probably wouldn't admit it now anyway. And what happens with every Blue Oyster Cult live album is they really kind of bookend a period of time. So the On Your Feet, On Your Knees was 
the pre-Agents of Fortune, pre-Pop era. And coming here after Spectres is Some Enchanted Evening, which was a single live album that was edited down due to record company pressures. Some Enchanted Evening had some odd covers on it. MC5, Kick Out the Jams. Kick Out the Jams, brothers and sisters! Kind of weak. It was a huge hit, I think mostly based on the superior live version of Godzilla. So the band kind of had a misstep here with Mirrors in 1979. It's produced by uh, Tom Werman, who worked with Cheap Trick and Ted Nugent. Not a bad producer, but this is a real glossy production, and the resulting album sales were quite disappointing. But then Sandy Perlman hooked them up with Martin Birch. Martin Birch is one of the best heavy metal producers. He had just come off from working with Black Sabbath on Heaven and Hell. He's also worked with Rainbow. He's worked with uh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. And he does a fantastic job with Cultosaurus Erectus in 1980. Watched it cut into her palm She put her hand up to her mouth To taste the blood so holy and warm She got up in the morning Put on a dress and patent leather shoe Ate a cereal and kissed her mama Lots of good songs on here, but my favorite is Black Blade. And this is where Eric Bloom collaborated with the science fiction author Michael Moorcock. And it's the tale of a young man who has a sword that controls his mind and even makes him kill his friends. Champion 
in a hole of mystic sign. And through Sandy Perlman's association with Black Sabbath, I think he managed them for a little while, they ended up doing a monumental tour called the Black and Blue Tour. Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult alternating headline dates from what I understand, the giant Godzilla on stage, and Ronnie James Dio in all his glory. Martin Birch also produced Fire of Unknown Origin in 1981. That's probably the band's most well-known record. Certainly was the peak in a certain way. enjoyed Veteran of Psychic Wars probably the most on the record. I'm young enough to look at and far too old to see all the stars are on the inside. I'm not sure that there's anything left to me.
anything left to me Of course, this album included a top 40 hit, Burning For You, and was the last to feature the original band lineup. Another great track on here is Joan Crawford, an ode to the actress from the 20s and 30s who was especially popular before she became known for her other habit, which was adopting children as accessories and treating them like shit.
Christina referred to in the song by the ghostly Joan Crawford voice was the daughter that later wrote a book called Mommy Dearest, which detailed some of the harrowing things that went on in that household. of the songs were used for the animated film Heavy Metal, but overall a really strong record with a lot of different songwriters and each of the band members contributing really important parts. And like so many of the other live releases, Extraterrestrial Live came out in 1982 and really is a bookend to the later classic period of the band. Overall, a really good set list, and they feature a cover of Roadhouse Blues with Robbie Krieger sitting in.
then after this, this is when things really went askew. The next record was called Revolution by Night. Had a song called Shooting Shark, which was somewhat of a radio hit for some reason. The lyrics are based on a poem by Patti Smith. After that came an album called Club Ninja, and this is where they lost me. I don't know what clubs and ninja have to do with Blue Oyster Cult or science fiction, but I really wasn't on board with this record. Now, Imaginos is an album I referred to earlier, and this came out in 1988. It's not so much a Blue Oyster Cold album. It was supposed to be like a solo album by Albert Bouchard, who had been in Blue Oyster Cult. And when the record company kind of got a hold of it, they thought, Blue Oyster Cult is going to sell a lot more than Albert Bouchard, so let's get the other guys to come in and do some overdubs and some lyrics and a verse here or there. And Robbie Krieger came in and did a little bit. But really, the band members were barely involved in the recording process. It's considered more of a project of the producer, Sandy Perlman, than a true album of the band. The clock strikes 12 and the moon drops burst Out at you from their hiding place Like dancing in oil on a madman's face Reason tends to fly away Like lesser birds on the forewind like silver scrapes in May Now the sands become a cross And most of you have gone away It has some great song titles like I Am The One You Warned Me Of or the seas and investiture of Baron von Frankenstein's castle at Wasiria. There's a remake of the track Astronomy and a track called Blue Oyster Cult. Cool artwork, though. You should check out the original cover. It's a photo of the Cliff House, which was outside of San Francisco. I think it burned to the ground in the early 1900s. Kind of creepy looking. It makes for a good Blue Oyster Cult album cover. Explosive night into a new dimension in rock. Sunday, July 29th, Alpine Valley Music Theater unleashes the force of Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult, Sunday, July 29th, virtually blowing your mind with heavy metal and the most sophisticated special effects show in rock. Get your tickets now at all Ticketron outlets. Experience the ultimate of heavy rock pleasure. Blue Oyster Cult Sunday, July 29th at Alpine. So for the next several years, there were many live albums and greatest hits albums, compilations. Probably one of the better ones is called Workshop of the Telescopes. It came out in 95. And then 1998, I was going to the record store and I saw the weirdest, stupidest album cover I've perhaps ever seen. So if you go on the internet and you check out Heaven Forbid and look at the original album cover, it really looks like something I might have drawn in 7th or 8th grade. Kind of a cool record. I would say the most important tracks are early in the record. See You in Black is one that I really like. This was co-written by Eric Bloom, Buck Dharma, and John Shirley, the sci-fi writer. It's a about, I guess, a man, perhaps a lover of a woman, who is being abused by her husband, and he wants to see her in black, meaning at his funeral.
other key track off of this is called Harvest Moon. And as you hear, it sounds a lot like classic Buck Dharma kind of thing. by the heavies in the band and it came out on the CMC record label. It, it almost doesn't sound mastered or something. Something's not quite right about it. And then the last album to date is Curse of the Hidden Mirror. Again, I can't tell you much about this record. It hasn't really done anything for me. The title of the album is taken from a song that was on the Stock Forest Group record. John Shirley again writes a lot of lyrics for the album. But that's the last of the studio work we've had from Blue Easter Cult. I've heard that they're supposed to put out something pretty soon. There was even discussion of something slated for 2018 but here we are, the end of 2018, and no sign of any new record. This is a hard-working group, a lot of interesting tracks here, not a lot of personal drama or crazy wicked stories that I know of anyway, but the music does the talking, and there's some really cool shit here. I think that the band benefited by having so many key members, especially in the early days, who would contribute, and also uh, kind of reaching out to more advanced writers, writers who wrote books, writers who wrote poetry, writers who uh, came up with these science fiction stories. It made for much better lyrics than typical spinal tap kind of thing you might hear. One of my favorite groups. I've always enjoyed Blue Easter Cult, and I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Good night. Feeling easy on the outside. Not so funny on the inside. Feel the sound. Free more rain. Cause this 
Podcast has been produced by Donnie Shattuck. Temptation and ruination are all around us, brothers and sisters, and its disguises are many. I hold in my hand a blue oyster cult album. On your feet or on your knees, is this what our children should be listening to? Let us raise our voice in song! On your feet or on your knees, live BOC in a specially priced two record set on Columbia Records. going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but we used a little more cowbell. 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 Cowbell.